Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Hebrews 7. Well, today's podcast is probably going to be pretty short because Hebrews 7 is pretty much all about Jesus and the Melchizedekian priesthood, and everybody understands that. So uh, probably not a lot for me to comment on today. Okay, just kidding. Maybe you have a lot of questions as you're reading through Hebrews 7 because you're like, Melchizedek who? And what in the world is going on? in this chapter. And thankfully, I do think it actually, once you get what it is saying, it's saying something that isn't super complicated, although some of the language starts to seem really confusing and complicated to us. But let's try to figure out what is the point of Hebrews 7. And then at the end, it makes a very powerful statement that I want you to meditate on today, uh, that Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost, or he is able to save you completely. He doesn't need your help. He can, and he is the one who saves you completely. And if we understand that, I'm going to argue later, our fruit will actually be better and not worse. If we really understand that my salvation is completely from Jesus, not 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 like 70% Jesus and 30% me, not even 99.9% Jesus and 0.1% me, it is 100% Jesus. When you understand that, that will actually be a powerful fuel for growth and maturity in your life. So with all that being said, let's look at Hebrews 7 and let's try to figure out what in the world is going on here with Melchizedek. And if I could just sum it up, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that Jesus is a better priest than the high priests they used to have. That's a broader argument. But what he's specifically saying here is one of the reasons why Jesus is a better priest than the old high priests is that Jesus comes from a better priesthood than the Levitical priesthood, because Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Simple enough, right? Okay, that may still seem complicated, so let's talk more about it. It starts in verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So if you remember, or maybe you don't remember this, but back in Genesis, there's Abram, or Abraham and Lot. And Lot gets captured by these other kings and Abraham leads like this militia to go and and rescue all these people that had been captured. And when he brings all these captives home, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and the word Salem in uh, Hebrew means peace, so he's the king of peace, he comes and he 
gives, he, he meets Abraham and Abraham gives a portion to him. So Abraham gives a tithe to this Melchizedek character. And now it's going to describe a little more. It says he is by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Then he is also king of Salem. Salem, it means peace, but then Melchizedek in Hebrew would mean king of righteousness. So he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. And so what he's saying there is making a point of how this kind of priest is better. Uh, let's just point out a couple of things now. Why is Melchizedek and his order of priesthood superior to the Levitical priesthood? Well, one we've already seen is he is a king priest. He is the king of Salem, and he's the priest of the Most High God. The Levitical priests were not kings. In fact, there was a separation between king and priest in ancient Israel. But Melchizedek, he is a king priest. Does that sound familiar? Who else is a king priest? Oh yeah, Jesus. He is a king priest. And then verse three is very interesting where it talks about he is without a father or mother or genealogy. Now, some people take this to mean that Melchizedek is what we would call a Christophany. And that would be an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, but before the incarnation, an appearance of God in the flesh, which we would say, well, okay, who is that? Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that the Father? No, it would be the Son. So it's a Christophany. And some people would say, I think Melchizedek is a Christophany. Personally, I don't think Melchizedek is a Christophany. I don't think the point here, like verse three says, I don't think the point is to say that Melchizedek was Christ. I think it's to say that Melchizedek resembles Christ. Christ. And what it's saying there that with that he is without father or mother or genealogy, it's not I don't think literally saying he he didn't have a father or mother, he just appeared. It's saying we, we don't know who his father was, we don't know who his mother was, we don't have his genealogy, we don't have anything about when he was born, we don't have anything about when he died because his priesthood was not hereditary. It wasn't just passed down the line. And that's another different thing here about the Melchizedekian priesthood. It's not just because of where you were born or who you were born to. It's based on something else. And then he's saying this priest is greater than uh, the Levitical priesthood because Abraham, well, he gave birth to Isaac, who gave birth to Jacob, who then gave birth to Levi. But Abram pays a tenth to this guy, Melchizedek. So Abraham is saying, Melchizedek is greater than I am. And because, you know, Levi is still, I guess you could say, in Abraham and going to come through his son and then his grandson and be his great, great grandson, this Melchizedek then must therefore also be greater than Levi. And so it says in verse 11, to try to put all this together now, if I've lost you uh, so far, it says, now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it, the people received the law, what further need would there be for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. So there he's just saying we need another one of these kind of priests, a king priest, a priest that's not just hereditary. We need one of those. And we know Jesus was not a Levitical priest, it says in verse 14. He came from 
Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And in verse 15, he says, there, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And when we look at that, that is a quotation from Psalm 110, which is then quoted again uh, later here in this psalm. It's a messianic psalm that talks about this priest coming from uh, the order of Melchizedek. And again, the whole argument of Hebrews is Jesus is better. So this is just another way to make that argument. Jesus is a better priest. And to be more specific, Jesus comes from a better priesthood, this order of Melchizedek, than the order of Aaron or the order of the Levites. And we see clearly in Psalm 110 that the Messiah was going to be a priest, not according to Aaron, but after the order of of Melchizedek. And now we're starting to get into, not only is Jesus a better priest, but verse 23, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. In verse 23, it says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And then it goes on to even talk about another reason why Jesus is a superior priest. And we've touched on this earlier in the book is that he doesn't have to give sacrifices for himself because he is without sin. So Jesus is a greater priest. And so if I lost you somewhere in there, let's try to bring it back here. What is the point of the book of Hebrews? Jesus is better. We've seen he is better than angels. He is better than Moses. Now we are seeing that he is a better high priest. And today it's just making the argument that's because he comes from a better priesthood. This line, this order of Melchizedek, a king priest that is not based on, you know, something hereditary. That's better than the tribe of Levi. And also he's a better priest because he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself. So this is just another argument here showing that Jesus is better. That's the point. But then the so what today, we saw he is able to save to the uttermost. Jesus does not need your help in salvation. He doesn't need you to go and do some ceremony to, to, to finish the job. He doesn't need you uh, to do all these external things or to keep the law for you to be saved. No, he is able to save you completely. And I hope that your trust is based in Christ completely, that you are saying, Jesus is my hope. He is my hope for salvation. I am trusting in him entirely. He is my only hope that I have to avoid judgment and to have eternal life in the Lord. And if we also consider some of the context that we've been looking at in Hebrews, if you remember chapter five and chapter six, one of the things he is pressing them on is their failure to go on to maturity. 
that they're not moving on. They're not progressing. And I want to tell you, I have seen this in my own life. I've seen this as a pastor when people are just waffling back and forth on whether or not they're going to follow Christ or even waffling back and forth on how do I know if I'm really saved? It stunts their spiritual growth. They do not grow on to maturity. Just think if you're unsure if you're saved or not, every time you see conviction in your life, you start freaking out and saying, what does this mean? I'm not saved. And instead of handling that conviction, confessing it to God and seeking to grow, you start going off on some rabbit trail. And that's not ultimately going to help you grow in Christ. Having a confidence in your salvation, which is ultimately grounded on the fact that Jesus is able to save you completely, that's going to help you grow more. Because when you see sin in your life, you won't just freak out and say, oh no, does this mean I'm not saved? You will take that sin, you will repent of it, you will confess it, and you will seek to grow and you will become more like Christ. And having that assurance that your salvation is completely resting on Jesus will not be something that causes you to be lazy. It will actually spur you on in holiness. Our church has a discipleship program we use, Partners, written by uh, Pastor Mike Fabares from our sending church, Compass Bible Church in Aliso Viejo, California. And in chapter 10 of that program, where it talks about uh, growing in holiness, it talks about well, the first question it asks you in that chapter is describe some of the practical differences between living a righteous life in order to gain. God's love versus living a righteous life in response to God's love. And one of the things I always talk about is it actually will lead to more fruit because it will be more sustained motives. My motive is now pure just to please the Lord, not to earn my salvation. Because I'm trying to earn my salvation or earn God's love, at some point I'm going to realize I'm failing and then I'm going to lose motivation and I'm going to spiral downward. But if I know that my salvation is dependent on him, it's going to fuel me and give me more joy and even just less pressure in obeying him because it will be coming from the heart. Think of even Bible reading and prayer. If you think, well, man, I I better make sure I read my Bible today so I know I'm a Christian. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on your Bible reading. That's going to put the focus in the wrong place. But if you know I am saved completely because of what Jesus has done for me, man, I want to be in his word today. I want to spend time with the Lord today because he's the one who saved me and I loved him. And you're going to focus on the word and and being revived by the word instead of just some burden and some rule you feel like you need to keep just to make sure that you're saved. Jesus is able as this great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, he is able to save us completely. And while maybe you're still confused somewhat about what all this stuff about Melchizedek means, I hope you understand that. And I hope you live with joy and assurance today. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.